<laughs> All right, bring it, bring it back in. If you are familiar with uh, um, the, the Jewish calendar in any form or fashion, and uh-oh, here it goes, Pastor, talking about Judaism again. Here we go. And I'm, I promise I'm not going to bore you. I'll get into this over the next couple weeks. But, I, Brett, I was trying hard to avoid this, and I felt like the Lord kept leading me to, to, to come back to this. So if you're familiar with Judaism in any form or fashion, you'll know that what's coming up on the 15th is there, it's what is known as the Jewish New Year, uh, Rosh Hashanah, if you will. Or, or uh, I believe that the Hebrew term is actually um, Yom Teruah, which simply means the day of shouting, the day of the trumpet blast. Okay? Isn't it cool that Jews get something that we're as Christians still trying to figure out? If you've got, if you got a sound of praise and a God, you're not supposed to be silent like a piccolo. You're supposed to lift up your voice like a trumpet and let God know he's worthy of praise. Amen. That's how it works. But it's their, it's their new year, so it's their, it's their day of shouting, or if you will, the, the day of the shout is what it's known as. But what's going to happen um, 10 days later always is the 10 days of awe, is what they call it, and it culminates on this, on this day of what we call Yom Kippur. It's the day of atonement. And so this is actually coming up, obviously, this month. And what I, what I want to encourage you to consider doing with me is we're going to talk about this more, but on the 24th of this month, it's, an actual, it's a Sunday, I'm going to encourage you to, to join me in a 25-hour fast uh, like the Jews do from sundown, 6 o'clock um, Sunday night until 7 o'clock Monday night, okay? You get to sleep through some of that, somebody. Come on, hello, all right? So there's a fasting, what? Pastor, you already put me on a 21-day fast at the beginning of the year. It's still your goat year, okay? And I, and I believe, yeah, I believe that God's going to require more of us. So it's going to be a 25-hour fast that we're going to do on the 24th, sundown to basically 25 hours, excuse me. We're going to be fasting from the 24th into the 25th. And, and then if you want to, let's do what the Jews do. You know what the Jews do? They get together and they throw a party. <laughs> let's get together and let's just feast. Come on, somebody. Amen. Tommy, hook us up. Come on. So anyway, having said all that, so that you begin to understand, why did I feel like the Lord was leading me here? Because that 10 days of awe between September 15th and the 25th of this year, between um, Yom Torah and Yom Kippur. These 10 days of awe are where the Jews will find themselves in a time of repentance, a time of in, uh, introspection. They will find themselves in a time of prayer and fasting. They will find themselves giving alms to the poor and the needy. And the whole reason they do that is, here's why, is they're actually trying to make the time to make things right with anyone they've done wrong. Woo! if the New Testament church could get a hold of this, to take the time. Maybe we should have a separated time throughout the year where we just go and say, look, I'm sorry, my bad. I was, I was a butthead. I was some other choice words, okay? Forgive me, please, I'm, I'm sorry. For, because this is what Jesus taught us. He said, before you come to the altar and you bring your gift to God, pause just a moment and reflect. Have I done anything to anyone to cause them harm or wrong? Have I sinned against my brother or sister? Let me go to them and try to make it right first, and then I can come before God and offer up my gift to him. Hear that? Not if they've done you wrong, if you've done them wrong. And that's what this time is for the Jewish people. Let me make things right with others, because here's what happens. If I'm right with you, then I know I can be right with God. In fact, uh, just with a quick show of hands, how many of us were a little ratchet to others before we came to Jesus? Come on, let's just be honest. Uh, sometimes I still am a little bit, Pastor. Hallelujah. But yeah. Before I came to Jesus, I was a little ratchet. Uh, Courtney, give him that video. This is, maybe this was your testimony before you came to Christ. Right, right. Look at this Dude. I bind the devil. I, I, I feel like I, some of my kids might do something like this right here. Yeah, right? No, no, no. It's all mine. That was my testimony at some point in time, right? Before Jesus. I'm just a little bogus to other people. Yeah. If you have your Bibles with me, I want to show you something that was extremely bogus. But how the grace of God is still evident. Even in the midst of our selfishness and stupidity. So, this is from 2 Samuel chapter 12. And we're just going to kind of kind of going to lean into the life of David and, and his mistakes the next couple of weeks, but here's where I want to start. This is the big one. It says that the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. And it was a story that Nathan told David. He said there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other one was poor. And the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. We don't know how many hundreds or thousands of head of livestock he owned, but he was extremely wealthy. 
But the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised that little lamb, and, and it grew up with his children. And it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. And he cuddled it in his arms, or, or I think King James says he laid it on his bosom, like, like on his chest, like, like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, check this out, and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Now look at verse 5. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan, by the Spirit of God, I believe he pointed at David and said, you are that man. You are the man. Ooh, Lord, help us with this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yikes. What a way to kick off this series. Let's go back to singing happy birthday to justice or something. But The David in this story is not the same David that you probably first heard about as a child or first read about in the scriptures. He's not the same David that we first see in 1 Samuel. That David, you remember that David? That David used to tend his father's sheep and he'd play his, his harp and, and he would write songs. That David, would, when, when a lion came, he killed the lion. When a bear came after the sheep, he killed the bear. And then that same David one day t- t- took some food to his brothers and, and heard this foul-mouthed Philistine defiling the, 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 the army of God and, and the Most High himself. And that, that same David took a, a couple stones, five stones to be exact, and, and, and put him in a sling. And, and we know that he, he took down a giant named Goliath. That same David used to be the guy who would dance before the Lord with all of his might because he was so grateful that God's presence was back in Jerusalem. That same David is the one who wrote psalm after psalm, ones that were of worship and praise and ones that are more worry and heartache. But that was the David who loved the Lord. Now we get to first, excuse me, second Samuel chapter 12. Years later, David is now the king of Israel. He's now powerful. He's now wealthy. Nothing is denied to him. And he's not the same David because he used to have a passion for the Lord. And now he's just following after his passions. What you don't know is, in the, unless you've read the story, in the previous chapter, chapter 11, what we see is David one day sends out his army to, to wage war. It's what they did in the springtime. And he was supposed to be with them. He's, I mean, he's the, the commander-in-chief. He's supposed to be out the leader. And instead, he's home chilling. Ooh, we get into some trouble when we just home chilling instead of doing what God has called us to do. Come on, somebody. So he's, he's up there. He's on the, the Bible tells us he's on the, on the rooftop of his palace. And he's just kind of out there just hanging out. And then he happens to notice, woo. This beautiful lady bathing on her rooftop. And he's like, dang, somebody give me her number. And what happens is, is he actually sends for her and, and then brings her to his house. Here's how I read 2 Samuel 11, verse 3. It says, so David inquired about the woman, and he was told. Here it is. This is Bathsheba, the daughter of, of uh, Eliam. And here it is. Here it is. The wife of Uriah. Can I get an amen for the bro code? Come on, somebody. The bro code. It should still exist. Uriah was loyal to David. Uriah loved David. The bro code should have existed here when they told him she belongs to Uriah. Okay, you know what? Gentlemen, you can be the man. Just recognize when she's got a man. Yeah. The bro code should have been in existence here. She's the wife of another man. But what is David doing? He forced his Bathsheba. And I need to clarify this just real quick. Many times when we think of this woman Bathsheba, we just think she was a part of an affair. But this woman was forced by a powerful man into a sexual encounter that she did not want. Let's call it what it was. She was raped by the king. And now she gets pregnant. And what does David do? Does he take ownership? Does he man up? Does he fess up? No, he tries to cover it all up. 
He says, you'll bring Uriah home real quick and, 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 and hopefully he'll sleep with his wife and, and I'll be in the clear. Uriah comes home and just like, I don't want to be here. I'm not supposed, I'm supposed to be where God has called me to be with my brothers fighting this battle. And so Uriah won't go in to sleep with his wife. So then they got to send him back. Now David's really in trouble. What am I going to do about this? So he comes up with a scheming, plotting plan that in the end, we're going to put Uriah on the front line. And then at the right moment, we're going to pull everyone else back and he's going to be left alone. And in that moment of his isolation, Uriah is killed. Hmm. I, I don't know about some of you, but uh, if you thought the Bible was boring, clearly you didn't read this soap opera level drama that happens in David's life. And aren't you thankful that God is a God who's all about a different story? It's a story called redemption. Whew. I'm grateful for redemption, but you need to understand redemption is always preceded by repentance. And, and what I see here in the life of David is he, he couldn't be redeemed because he refused to repent. So God has to send a prophet to deal with the hidden things in David's life. Can we all just take just a moment right now and just say, thank you, Lord, for every person you sent. Thank you for every pastor and every parent. Thank you for every teacher. Thank you for every believer who was bold enough to look me in the eyes and say, you are the man. You've messed up. It's time to get right. God sent Nathan to tell David, you are the man. Now, can you imagine being Nathan in this position? God says, hey, I need you to go and correct the king. You want me to die? I, I can't imagine what was going through Nathan's mind in that moment. I have to go to, how am I going to get through to the king? Now, I want you to see what happens here because I believe that God, the spirit of God gave Nathan something so powerful. Nathan doesn't talk to the king. The prophet speaks to the former shepherd about a man and his love for his lamb. That story takes David back to a different time in his life when he was a shepherd. That story takes David back to where it all started for him, back when it was just him and his love for the lamb. Nathan goes on to tell us there's these two distinguishing figures that have multiple differences he gives us this, this rich man, and I almost feel like I'm coinciding this to the story we read last month in Luke chapter 16, where we've got this extremely wealthy man. He's got prestige and power. He's got so much livestock that more than likely he had to hire out other shepherds to take care of the sheep for him. All we know about this man is he made a name for himself. He was a rich man. He was extremely influential. He makes a name for himself, and I'm sure as David is listening to the story, I can see David just kind of leaning in and taking in what, what Nathan is telling him about this rich man, because David can relate. I started with nothing, but look at me now. 2 Samuel chapter 8 tells us in verse 13 that David got himself a name. He got for himself a name when he returned from defeating the Edomites. Here's what the Bible's trying to show us. David was one time nobody, but now he is the man. David, you, are, you, you know the colloquialism that we use, right? Like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you some Cubs tickets. You the man. Yeah. I'm going to get you some Sox tickets. What's wrong with you? Yeah. I'm going to take you to the Bears. Eric's going to take me to a Bears game this year. Eric, you the man. I'm just prophesying. I don't know if I know. Okay. But, but you the man. Listen, we use that to show the, the wow, you're awesome. Look at you. you you're, you're unique. You're, you're, David becomes the man because when, once he takes down Goliath, the women start writing songs. They actually start dancing. They're like, Saul has slain his thousand, but David has slain his ten thousand. I don't even know how that makes sense. But they were singing these songs. David, David became the man so much. I wonder if they wrote like little children's books about David taking down Goliath. You know, the little papa books. Here comes the stone and boom, there goes the giant. I, I can almost see 3,000 years ago the most popular boy's name on baby.com was David he's become the man but then Nathan begins to shift the story from that one percenter to the man who only had one lamb this poor man who lived in scarcity and poverty I mean this is what Nathan said about him right he said his children barely had enough they barely had enough. This man who was unimportant and unknown. 
he only had one tangible asset. He owned a lamb. Now here's these two men in the same city, speaking the same language, breathing the same air. And their lives probably never intersected until this fatal moment. Verse 4 tells us, one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. Now, it's customary. It was customary in that time period to take care of your, desk, uh, your guests when they come over. And I believe it should still be customary today. Come on, somebody. If I show up at your house, don't sit on the couch with your hand in your pants. Hello, come on. Wash your hands, get up and greet me. Hello, come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? What, what, what kind of, Pastor Oak had to teach me this long ago. I was the kind of person long ago. You came over to my house, say whatever's mine is yours, help yourself. What I do is I make a bowl of cereal in front of her family, and she'd be like, what is wrong with you? I'd be like, what if they're hungry? They could have some. She's like, well, offer it to them. You just, you things you learn along the way. And in this time period, it was customary to treat your guests like royalty, to do everything you could to, to honor them, to make them feel valued and special. And come on, somebody, if someone's going to show up at your house, you might as well make them feel valued and special. And that's why when you come to this house, we want you to know that you are loved and valued and special. <clears throat> but what happens? Instead of taking from the massive flock that he was blessed with, he goes and steals what belonged to another man. He steals the lamb. Now, let me help you real quick. Anyone interested in just learning more about the Bible? Anyone interested in learning more about the Bible? Okay, good. If you really want to learn more about the Bible, then every time you read the word lamb, I want you to connect it to the lamb. Every time you see it in Scripture, in the New Testament, John said it like this in John 1.29. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I won't even tell you the 28 different times in the book of Revelation that Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. What we see in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. So when you go to the Old Testament, you start reading the Old Testament. When you see the word Lamb, connect it to the Lamb. Here's how it reads in Exodus 12. Every man is to take a Lamb for his family. This is during the time of the Passover. This is where... God is getting ready to completely liberate the, the Jewish slaves from Egyptian captivity. And he's going to tell them, this is how I'm going to do it. I've already sent nine plagues, I'm going to send a tenth plague. And that tenth plague, I'm going to take the firstborn son of everything living, unless I see the blood of the lamb. But before he gets to that point, he tells them, every household, every family has to take a lamb for themselves. You need a lamb for yourself. I know we don't live under the old covenant, but you need to know that every man in this room needs a lamb. Every woman in this room needs the lamb. Every family needs the lamb. Every household needs the lamb. Every business needs the lamb. Every venture needs the lamb. Every calling needs a lamb. Every church needs the lamb. Second Samuel 12, right there shows us these two men who have nothing in common except one lamb. One lamb. Now, I'm going to quickly just explain what I mean here. Anyone else have children like mine that they always want something? Anyone got children like mine? Always want something. Oh, my God, every parent's hand just went up. Come on, so I go to Walgreens for toothpaste, and like $63 later, I'm like, what just happened? What just happened? Why? I, I, I went for trash bags because we needed trash bags for all the garbage that leave around my house. And, and I left with, with four bags full of things. Like, what just happened? And now I don't even want to tell the kids when I'm leaving anymore. We have Life 360, so it goes off, right? So where's daddy going? He's going to Walgreens. Get everybody in the van. But my kids think that daddy's got money. I want something. Let me go where daddy is. Can I, can I just tell you something? The truth is that I wish I could give my family everything. But if the only thing I give them is a love for the lamb. Come on. Come on. Come on, somebody, help me declare this. Greater than any inheritance is a love for the lamb. Greater than giving them an estate, if I can give them a love for the lamb. Greater than a college fund, if I can give them a love for the lamb. Greater than a good name. Greater than Jordans. Greater than an iPhone. Greater than anything they want. If I can just give them a love for the lamb, because there's nothing greater you can give your family than to give them a passion and a love for the lamb of God, Jesus Christ.
I need to tell you, my parents didn't give me a dime for college, and they didn't give me a dollar for this church, but they gave me a love for the Lamb of God, and that is more than enough. If the only thing you can give your family is the Lamb, then you've given them success. You've given them joy. You've given them blessings. You've given them the ability to conquer over all the power of the enemy, and you just give them the Lamb. You will give them eternal life. Look at verse 3 again with me real quick. Give me verse 3 again. I'm sorry, not that verse 3. 2 Samuel. It says, notice this. Notice this. He says, the lamb. Pastor Olga has this little puppy she loves, uh, Emmy. I don't know why we call her. I call her Miff. I don't know why, but, but she loves her. And I won't even go back to a different time with another dog she loved that was, that Pastor Bethel had to bring up some bad memories a couple weeks ago. But, but she's got the little dog she loves. Anybody got a pet that they love? That you just love? You just adore it? Uh, well, hands went down. Well, that kind of, kind of, yeah, I guess. Uh, depends on the day. Uh, she's got this cute little puppy, but what we see here in verse 3 is that this was no pet. He loved this lamb like it was part of the family. Now, I'm all good with you, you know, being excessive with your pet. You know, you, know you, you guys dress up together and you eat the same food and, and, and you, you, whatever. Okay, whatever. Okay, I don't, but this seems a bit excessive, right? I mean, look what's happening here, okay? Not only do, do they move a lamb into their house, but now they're cuddling it like it's a child. And that lamb has a seat at the table, Right? Everybody's got a chair. Mama, daddy, bubba, sissy, and bah. All at the same table. What? And what's crazy this autumn is this family fed the lamb. Do you want the presence of something to grow in your, in your family? Just gotta feed it. And you can't feed it on Sunday only. <sighs> if you would just start feeding the lamb your worship during the week, if you start feeding the lamb your love during the week, the presence of that lamb is gonna grow in your household. See, what, what I see in the, with this family is the lamb was not isolated, the, the lamb was integrated. He, he wasn't kept from the family. He was interwoven into every facet of the family. That means every meal, there's the lamb. Every decision, there's the lamb. Every family conversation, there's the lamb. Every family debate, there's the lamb. Every time we can get along, there's the lamb. Every time we can't see eye to eye, there's the lamb. Every business deal, there's the lamb. Every boyfriend, there's the lamb. Every girlfriend, there's the lamb. Everything we do, the lamb is present. He's integrated into every portion of our life. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I need this church to know that we cannot compartmentalize the lamb. Can I tell you to stop doing that? Stop, stop telling the lamb, because this is not real Christianity. Stop telling the lamb, I'll, I'll see you once a week on Sunday. It'll be the petting zoo. I'll come in and, and pet you on Sunday, but you won't see me Monday through Saturday. Stop, stop treating the lamb like I'm only going to come to you when I need something, when, I, when I'm feeling lonely and feeling lost. That's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever. Real Christianity is, this is the air I breathe. This is my daily bread. You'll presence, your word spoken to me. Real Christianity is take this whole world, but give me Jesus. You can't compartmentalize the lamb. The lamb was not isolated. He was integrated. And this whole message, I'm just trying to speak to your heart simply today is this. You need the lamb integrated into every part of your life. Been telling people for years, stop just putting Jesus at the center. Take Jesus with you everywhere. Don't just put him first, put him in everything. Take him with you everywhere you go. Everything you do. The lamb was present for this family. 
And I believe that if there's no greater possession we can have than to connect to the Lamb, then it also tells me why some of you are living in lack right now. Any area where the Lamb isn't present, there's going to be lack present. That's why your dating life sucks. Because the Lamb ain't there. Because He's going to let you know, not the one. Come on. Thank you. Any part of my life that I leave out the lamb is a part of my life that I'm embracing lack. Can I tell you today, if you need life in your house, get the lamb in your house. If you need love in your marriage, get the lamb in your marriage. If some of you, if you need direction for your future, then get the lamb in your presence. And let me prophesy over this church. If we want to see the power of God in our church, then don't wait until Sunday to give the Lamb praise. Help me praise him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every day I need the Lamb. I look at this story, Tommy, and I'm like, man, that poor man still had something that King David had lost. David lost his love for the lamb. Now here's Nathan showing him, telling him, look at this poor man. He loved that lamb so much that he would lay the lamb on his chest, close to his heart. The Bible actually tells us that King David was once called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David was close enough to God to hear his heart. Now David's in a different place and space, and he, he can't even catch the revelation that's hitting him square in the face. So David hears of this injustice, of this evil, selfish, godless, rich man. Everything he was blessed with, and instead he steals the man who only had one thing. And I, I'm thankful to see people get angry about injustice. But David was not quick to watch his mouth. Because in verse, I think it's verse 5 or 6, the Bible tells us that he was ready to, he was ready to kill the man. You're going to do this? Uh, this man needs to die. I want to kill the man. And in that moment, that's when the prophet spoke up and said, you are the man. You are that man. I want to tell somebody today that you can keep blaming everyone else for the choices you've made. Absolutely. You can try to cover up everything you've done wrong. You can pretend like you didn't do it, like you weren't there, like you didn't say it. But you cannot hide from the God who already knows you are the man. Everything is laid bare before him. And if you just keep reading this text, you will see how the... How Nathan makes it clear, anything done in darkness, the light will reveal. And it's repeated by Jesus in the New Testament. We can't hide anything. I'm so grateful I serve a God of truth. He loves you so much, he will not let you live in your lie. He will not let you live in your sin. He will not let you live in your darkness. That's how much he loves you. And you think, God, why, why, why are you exposing me right now? Because I want to pull you out of this thing once and for all. So here's David, not even realizing he's condemning himself until the man of God throws it back in his face and says, you are the man. Pastor Og, what I love about this text is what comes next. Because if I did that to some of you, you might give me a different finger. You might sit there and justify your sinful choices, your lifestyle. I was born this way, and I would justify it any which way. But here, David gets confronted. And instead of getting bitter or angry or justifying what he has done, David repents and humbles himself before God. Look at verse 13. It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against who? 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 I just want to make sure we're clear about who our sin is really against. 
I'm not saying people haven't done you wrong. I'm telling you who their sin was against. Because if they would honor God, they would never mistreat you. I have sinned against the Lord. Now, this could be the end of the story, but I serve a God who loves to redeem and restore. Because what happens next is this. David begins to write some of the greatest psalms. And those greatest psalms usually came after some of David's greatest failures. Psalms 51 in particular. He writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin against you and you alone have I sinned I have done what is evil in your sight verse 10 but create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me and cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me but restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you I have got good news for somebody today that has come in and you've been living a life of sin and you're dying in the midst of your struggle but I came to tell you the lamb died so that you can live not just so you can live but you can live forgiven so you can live redeemed so you can live restored so you can live delivered the lamb died so that you can have life Exodus 13 13 check this out I'm going to finish right here God commands this. He says, a firstborn donkey. So when a donkey's born, the very firstborn donkey that is, he says it has to be bought back or redeemed. That's what that means, redeemed. It has to be redeemed. From who? From the Lord. Because the first always belongs to God. Should I say it again? The first always belongs. Would you stop taking what belongs to God? The first belongs to the Lord. It's his. Someone say it's his. Come on, even you people don't tithe. Say it's his. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's going to change your mind, but it's still his. It's his. The first belongs to the Lord. So he says, you have to redeem this firstborn because it belongs to me. And here's how you can do it. You present a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, check this out. This is crazy. You have to kill it. You have to break its neck. Wait, what? But what's my point here? I'm just simply trying to tell you that this verse is telling us that the firstborn donkey had to have its neck broken unless it was redeemed by a lamb. <laughs> the whole reason that Jesus rode into Jerusalem that week on a donkey a cult, the firstborn, was to simply show us that before I die, I'm going to buy you back. I, I'm going to buy you back. I believe what Jesus is wanting you to know today is that sin will break us, but I'm here to buy you back. I can redeem you completely. I won't let Satan, who is a thief, steal from you, rob from you, kill you anymore. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The lamb was the only reason the donkey could have life. Wow. I'm not calling you a, a donkey. But recognize, I deserve to die for what I've done. But the lamb has bought me back. And right before he dies, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this. He says, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And they give him a myriad of answers. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. Jesus is like, but who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? And then Peter catches this revelation from God. And he says this. In Matthew 16, 16, he says to Jesus, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what Peter is actually getting the revelation of? He's telling Jesus, you are the man. I get it now. It's all about the lamb. It is all about the lamb. The lamb is the man. 
Jesus Christ, man, I am sorry to this generation what we have made church about. I am so sorry to American Christians that we've made you believe it's all about you and what you can get and what you need and your problems and your burdens and your pains. I am so sorry we've made it all about you because you are not the man, but the one who gave his life so that you could live. Can, can I just find a, a few Christians in 2023 that just want to correct this thing called church and just make sure that when we come here, we're not making it about what we get. We're not making it about what we receive. We're not making it about whether or not we're noticed. Can I get some people to agree with me in 2023 and until the Lamb returns, let's make it all about the man, Jesus Christ himself. Come on, just a few Christians that'll put their hands together and say this whole thing is all about him and Anyway, stand your feet with me. In Revelation chapter 12, you're good. I don't, I, you're good, gentlemen. We're going we're gonna to take communion here together. Thank you. You're good. <clears throat> David, just give me a little something soft. I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to be a part of this. Especially my, well, my, my son is no longer a lamb. In Revelations, Tommy, the Bible tells us of this scene around the throne and how everyone, no matter where they're from or what they look like, what language they speak, everyone is crying out the same thing. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Right there. Worthy is the lamb that has nothing to do with you nothing to do with your needs nothing to do with your desires everyone will cry out with a loud voice we're going to shout it we're going to sing it we're going to dance about it worthy is the lamb that was slain to him receives power to him be all the wealth to him all the wisdom to him all the strength to him all the honor to him all the glory to him all the praise to him him that's why we call him hymns because it's always supposed to be all about him it's all about him him sweet jesus god help us in these last days to catch this revelation that you alone are worthy If you just take inventory for a moment of your life, what do you really make worthy? I'm glad you came to church today because the Bears game doesn't start till 3.15. I get that, right? 3.15? But if it started at noon, how many of you would have put the Bears before the Lamb? Don't answer that because you're here. But the fact of the matter is you've made something that is less than, more worthy than the Lamb. So if you don't get it now, you will get it one day. Worthy is the Lamb. And Tommy, I caught this last revelation because we're getting ready to take communion. The Lamb would gather with the family at the same table, eating the same meal, and drinking the, the same cup. Come on, Bible scholars, it ain't that hard. What is this a picture of? What are we seeing? The family at the table with the meal and the cup and the lamb it's all right there prophetically nathan was pointing to the last supper when jesus would say i couldn't wait to partake of this meal with you this moment that we have together this communion between you and i because it's the last time we're going to do this like this here but I'm going to make a way for you to now have communion with the Father. And we'll be able to do this together forever. I'm just trying to get to give you a revelation of communion. It is not some stale wafer and, and, and some grape juice. It is so much deeper and so much more powerful and profound than that. 
communion is this understanding that you and I are on common ground. No matter how we were raised, no matter how long we've been in church, we all have the same thing in common. We're all sinners in need of a savior and we can't save ourselves. So we need a lamb at the table because the lamb lays down his life and it's his body that we eat and his blood that we drink that gives us new life. This new covenant found in the body and the blood of the Lamb. As we get ready to take this today, I want you to see communion from just this simple aspect. It is just communal union. It's communal union. Communion. Communal union with the Lamb. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. And in a time period when the Jewish people are getting ready, they're preparing their lives, their hearts, their minds for a season of repentance, for a season of correction, for a season of seeking you. Help us to catch the significance today of the body and the blood of the Lamb. Hear me, hear me, ladies and gentlemen, just in your imagination, hear me. I was sharing with the dream team this morning that the Jewish people are only allowed, according to their religion, they're only allowed to approach God once a year. Once a year. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Once a year, they get to come before God and have everything purified, every sin removed, completely cleansed. Once a year. And that's how this was for almost 2,000 years. But the system itself actually created more barriers and more distance and more sin between God and the people. And it drove them further and further away. And God knew this covenant is inadequate. It's never, it's never gonna be enough. That's why he said the lamb will be slain before the foundations of the earth. Because I'm gonna give them a better covenant. If you ever get a chance, read a book called Hebrews. It's in your Bible. It'll show you how Jesus is better than anything else that exists. Every other religious figure, every other supposed way to heaven, Jesus is better. And here's what happened. God said, this covenant is inadequate because I, I only can commune with my people once a year. Only once a year. The Jews are still celebrating this to this day because they didn't realize God said that covenant is inadequate. Let me create a new one. And I'm going to create it through the life, the shed blood, and the death of the Lamb. When we take this today, I want you to realize, as I read just a few moments ago from Hebrews 4, you can approach God every day. Not September 25th, once a year. Every day. And in fact, it changes every year too. If you know anything about the Jewish calendar, it changes every year. So don't try for Dan Toma next year on the 25th because it'll be a different date. It changes. But Jesus Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his sacrifice was once and for all. It was enough. I want you, if you haven't already, peel back that, that, oh, that layer right there and let's grab the wafer. Bible tells us Jesus lifted up the bread the night he was betrayed and he said this is my body that is broken for you when you eat this do this to remember what I've done ladies and gentlemen we're not just again we're not just eating a wafer I want you to see this as the symbolic broken body of the lamb so if you walked in here today broken if you walked in here today defeated if you walked in here today sick, if you walked in here today discouraged, if you walked in here today depressed, if you walked in here anything less than whole, he was broken so that you can be healed and made whole. He could have just died. No, he had to be broken so that we could be fixed. That's what happened. Now, if you're raised Catholic, I get where this might feel a little foreign or off to you. 
But the only command when we do this is do this in remembrance of him. I'm sorry that religion has made this anything else other than that. You can take communion at home. You can take communion, well, if you're driving a car, just keep both hands on a wheel if you can, but you can take it anywhere. I'll take communion to people in hospitals. I'll take communion to people in jail. I'll take communion to people in their own home. I will take it anywhere because as long as I do this in remembrance of him, it's all about the lamb. All about the lamb. When we eat this today, I pray that you will believe that you're taking in health. You are taking in healing. You are taking in victory. You're allowing God to fix the things in your heart and in your mind that have been broken for so long. My God, some of you are Bathsheba. You're the innocent lamb that was abused and mistreated and broken. You didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. Someone with with some level of power or position abused you, misused you and threw you to the side. You're innocent. You're innocent. You're that innocent lamb. But you're not innocent of your own sin. You need the lamb who takes away even your sins. So when we eat this right now, let's believe that he's making us innocent. He's making us whole. He's righting everything wrong in our hearts, in our minds, in our passions. He's fixing the present so we can have a blessed future. Amen? We receive this now in Jesus' name. When you're ready, when you're ready, do so worshipfully. You need all of it. after he took the bread, the Bible tells us he took the cup. Tommy, we understand that there can be no covenant without the shedding of blood. It has to happen. And so what does Jesus do? He says, all right, I'll establish this new covenant and I'm going to have to bleed for it. But you're worth it. My God. Lord, help me, help me, Lord, just show somebody today that no matter what others have said about them, they were worth it. No matter how you feel about yourself when you look in the mirror, Jesus says you're worth it. You are worth me shedding my blood. You are worth it. You are, he's the man, but you are worth it. You are worth it. My God, Lord, reveal that to somebody today. Can I just get a couple people to help me pray right now? Show us, Lord, you deemed us worth your death. You deemed us worth the crucifixion. You deemed us worth forming a new covenant in your blood. Because I didn't deserve it. But you said I'm worthy. This blood right here not only covers my sins, this blood right here gives me new DNA. Ooh, come on, somebody. This is what it means to be born again. I've got new DNA. I, I was a part of a crazy family before, but now I'm part of God's family because of the blood of Jesus. I've got new DNA in my system. I've been born again. This blood identifies me. This blood covers me. This blood right here gives me reason and purpose to do what I'm here to do. I can, I can overcome even Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Feel free just be with a moment, just a moment of worship. Can we just lift at least one hand so you don't spill any, any grape juice on yourself? But I stand here today not worthy because of what I've done. Clearly, what I've done has made me unworthy, but I stand here today because you deemed me worthy and you shed your blood to show me that I can have a new identity a new covenant. I can be made right and righteous before God because of the blood of Jesus. In your own words, just for a few more seconds, can you just express your gratitude to God today? Can you just tell him thank you? Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the redeeming power that bought me back in the blood. My sin should have broken my neck, but the lamb died 
so I don't have to. The blood that was shed for me. And I'm grateful, Lord. And I say thank you today. So that we don't drink this unworthily. If there's any sin in your heart right now in your life, if there's any distance between you and God, let's just confess. Just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your death on that cross. Thank you for shedding your blood. I confess I'm a sinner. And I confess you are my Savior. Come into my life today. Cleanse me. Purify me. Help me to live for you. Thank you for your resurrection so that I can live forever. I believe in you. I choose to follow you. You are the man. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now that we're right with God, now we can drink this from a place of understanding who he is and who we are. Now we're not drinking it unworthily. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's drink all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Are you thankful for the lamb? Do you, do you find yourself in this moment realizing Jesus, <laughs> the lamb, he is the all in all. He is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is everything I need. Will you agree with me today that as we leave this place that we need to take the lamb with us everywhere we go? Can I find somebody who just, just wants to say, yep, I, I need to take the lamb with me. God, God knows I need the lamb at, at college. God knows I need the lamb at home. God knows I need the lamb at work. God knows my boss needs a lamb or my, my coworkers need a lamb. God knows my neighbors. God knows I need to take the lamb with me everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. What I'm going to do right now is I close this service. I want to open up this altar to anybody that just needs to draw a little bit closer to the lamb. So you can take, take the presence of God with you. I mean, clearly you're not taking a, an actual lamb, but you are taking the presence of the lamb of God with you everywhere you go. I'm going to open up this altar to anyone else that just needs extra prayer. If you have questions, I want to make sure that I answer them today. I don't want anyone to leave confused. Amen. Come on. Come on. I don't want anybody to leave feeling distant from God. I don't want anybody to feel as though you have to do something extra to be worthy of the Lamb. Aye. He made you worthy. Are you grateful for that today? Amen. Come on. Can we just throw up our hands one more time and just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.